All right, welcome to another episode of the Esports Next podcast. It is my pleasure alongside our ESTA founder, Megan Van Petten, to welcome one of the OGs of the esports space, Mr. Han Park, who is now the founder and CEO of Payment Labs. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, It was great meeting you guys at the ESTA conference in Chicago this past summer. Absolutely. It was fantastic having you there and wonderful having you here today. Um, I'm curious, having been around the space for so long, so many tournaments, probably countless conventions and conferences as well. uh, What did you take away from Esports Next 2023? Um, I really enjoyed that it was very organized. There were a lot of activities and a lot of different, uh, you know, speakers that, uh, that gave you a range of different topics. It wasn't just about one theme or, you know, or one, you know, idea that was being promoted in the conference. You guys had a, a, a lot of variety of speakers across multitudes of topics that touch esports, which was really great to see. And then the second thing is just because I've been around the scene for so long and I took a little bit of a break to do my startup, seeing all the new players and the new faces and the people that are going to yeah. be the next generation to carry the torch, I guess. We really appreciate that. You know, we we try to position ESTA as a safe place to learn that, um, hey, if you have the right intention, you want to come in and, you know, serve the community, be a part of it rather than just take. Um, it's okay if you say e-gaming or if you <laughs> capitalize esports the wrong way the first time. <laughs> we believe that you may have more to offer than just uh, that lack of initial knowledge, but you may have great experience, great ideas from outside of the space that can come in and help build sustainable growth. But, um, you know, what we're here to talk about today is a process that has had uh, challenges over the years, which is payment solutions for these global tournaments around the world. And it sounds like, Han, you and your team have developed a fantastic solution with Payment Labs. Tell us what is pay, Payment Labs and how did you come about to seeing that this was a challenge that you wanted to develop a solution for? Yeah, um, great. Uh, so Payment Labs is a payout solution. Um, we created a platform, a technology platform ground up to solve uh, the challenge of paying out global prize money winners. Um, one of the things that I encountered when I was an executive at ESL heading up the U.S. and North American operations was we were moving about 6 to $12 million of annual prize money a year out of our office. Yeah. And uh, the winners ranged everything from, you know, weekly $25 cup winners uh, that we had to pay out on a weekly basis to, you know, the champions of the world uh, Halo championships, right, which was four players of which two of them were Canadian, one was, you know, US and one was Mexican. And so you go, okay, now we have to send out, you know, they want half a million dollars and you have to write that, uh, pay them out $125,000 to in cash to countries that are, you know, cross border. And right. so compliance comes in and complexities of payments come in. So as I said, everything from $25 weekly online cups where you could easily pay someone, you know, via PayPal all the way to, you know, writing big checks of a hundred thousand dollars or more to try to get them paid 
and then educating a lot of these gamers who are often, you know, the first uh, are unbanked that may not understand what onboarding means to get paid um, along yeah. with the methods of payment that are available to them. And it just complicates the process and the process became the challenge. Um, and so oh. I had to personally deal with that. And, uh, and I noticed that there was no off the shelf solution that covered the wide range of complexities. And so when I left uh, ESL, I wanted to kind of tackle this uh, for an industry-wide solution because I knew that this would be a problem as the industry continued to grow and prize money continued to grow associated with these events and tournaments. Right. So you put the fun into winning. <laughs> well, I removed the pain from collecting winnings. <laughs> the fun into funds, maybe, <laughs> Megan? The fun into funds. That's good because... It is complicated to collect winnings, especially if you're from another country, yeah. you know, or or the event was in another country um, with compliance. And tell us some of the examples that you've seen that um, made you uh, create this solution for um, an industry that needed it so much. Yeah. So one of them is uh, how prize money is uh, taxed in certain countries, like prize money winnings in certain countries is looked as uh, taxable income. And oftentimes, uh, you know, organizers I, were, I either didn't know or didn't have a process to deal with tax compliance. So at the end of the day, uh, the players, you know, that are trying to make a living off of being a pro gamer you know, would win sixty to $100,000 in prize money thinking that, you know, they could just spend it, pay rent, you know, buy a car or whatever that they use the winnings for. And then you get a tax bill at the end from the IRS. One, you didn't report it. And two, you now <laughs> owe 25 to 30% of that money back as taxes to the IRS. And it's, it's not just the IRS, but other countries have identified, um, you know, uh, prize winnings as taxable income. So, you know, tax compliance was a big thing. And then cross-border, not everybody can cash a U.S. check or able to receive U.S. dollars. So they didn't understand what the, the fees are associated with cross-border pay payments. You know, there's FX, but also you have to pay your institutions for the transfer process, which is also painful. Um, and at the end of the day, when you're getting less money than what you thought you were getting, and let's say you're using those prize winnings to pay rent, makes it challenging for the gamers. And then also for the payors, right? Uh, the organizers, the publishers, or the sponsors that were paying out the prize money, they didn't want to deal with, uh, you know, corporate risk by, yeah. by sponsoring something or being the organizer. And so there's a lot of complexities in dealing with paying people cash. Yeah, I can, you know, one one of the major downsides there is let's say you're a brand or you're a tournament organizer, you put yeah. so much work and probably goodwill towards yeah. trying to create this amazing experience. You got the prize money, you produce the tournament, everything, and you there's a lot of post event stuff happening too, right? Like there's all these things happening and the fact that there's all these complexities and pain points to getting the money to the person who won it, all of a sudden, all these things that should be a positive are now a negative because all over at Twitter, it says you don't pay. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. And that's that yeah. was one of the things that we tried to educate the market early days on. It's that it's, it's really not about 
the organ I mean there were some organizers obviously that you know weren't able to pay out what they promised but the the larger ones and the bigger publishers you know the money's there but the process was so painful that it created so many delays and like you pointed out John you know you ran an amazing event you had the big largest viewership and the gamers were hyped and excited because they won the world championship but now they wait nine months to a year because of the process to get paid their winnings. And that's just not right. Right. Well, and I think we entrepreneurs too, who don't necessarily get an every two week paycheck all the time. Uh, You know, you know, that feeling of sending an invoice and my bills are due. I need to receive this payment. And that's frustrating. Same thing with these, uh, these pro gamers who are winning these terms. And boy, you said nine months to a year. That oh is. Oh my gosh. Who would ever want to get that in the way of someone's paycheck? Not yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, what's a reasonable time frame, Han? What, you know, what is the, 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 a fair wait time for pay for a win? I think a lot of the organizers, you know, in during their registration process or their tournament details, you know, will announce that usually, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So the gamers go in knowing that prize money could be paid out as late as that. But it's when organizers and uh, event holders, you know, announce huge prize money to draw sponsorship and viewership yeah. and such that don't provide the follow-up of saying, okay, this is what it's required for you to get paid within 30, 60 to 90. Um, And that's what creates the pain points. And not every uh, team that ever wins prize money or the gamer that wins prize money knows the process or have ever done it before. So now they're confused. And so, you know, oftentimes it's the gamers that are holding up the process because they're not filling out simple onboarding forms right? To get paid. But then each organizer at each company may have a different onboarding process. So even if you got paid by one organizer successfully, the second organizer might have a different rule set of how you collect your prize money and what you have to do to get it. And so that's why the complexities are there across the board. Um, And that's what we try to standardize. And we, you know, we have over 26 customers now that use our platform. And, you know, we've moved uh, since 2020, uh, about $23 million in prize money for our customers, efficiently and compliantly. And that's what we focus on. Yeah, yeah, we we saw this at the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and you know, you you prize money compliance, um, you know, software systems and processes are 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 the heroes of so many, um, yeah. because it is just no fun. Do you ever run into, um, and is it a, is it a challenge that you solve when people have a tournament that didn't get the sponsorship that it could have or should have? where there is a prize money um, issue. So our platform actually does a double check. Uh, We do what's called know your business and know your customer. So know your business before they can even start using our platform. We put them through um, a know your business process where they have to provide their corporate documentation, uh, uh, their banking info, uh, all the things that's required to essentially set up a actual bank account. yeah. And, and on the receiving process, we do the same thing with the, the recipient, you know, the payee or the tournament winners in this context. 
but we're also doing it for other platforms where they may be, you know, content creators or streamers that need to get paid, right? Um, so by doing this anti-money laundering and uh, compliance process, what you're doing is you're saying from this trusted payor to this trusted payee, the funds are there. So as soon as we know what the win uh, the tournament results are and the winnings, the money gets transferred instantly. Um, and so that's what uh, our system is designed around creating, uh, making sure we remove the inefficiencies, we address the compliance, and we offer the methods of payment that's available during the onboarding process to the payee, even if they live in a foreign country or they do in different currencies. And if you can look at it from those three aspects, that's how you make payments faster and easier for both the payor and the payee. That's great. I, you know, I, I just am so grateful that you're a member and <laughs> an OG in the space. What made you create this? It, it's from having to do uh, the payments. Like I was saying, we were moving six to $12 million of prize money payments annually, just from our North American office for all the events and tournaments. And we were running hundreds of events and tournaments, both online and live productions a month. And so but for you, but for you to go and solve it, you know, many people see problems at the, at their last job or opportunities it, you know, I mean, there's that. And then there's just, well, why don't I just create that? Like what okay. was the define? Yeah. What was the yeah. origin? So, yeah. Great question. So when yeah. I ESL, I actually took a break about six to nine months where I said, I, I want to spend time with my daughter and I don't want to focus anything on business. But, you know, after a six month break, if you have the entrepreneurial, you know, background, uh, there's only so much of Netflix you could watch and so many, you know, weekend trips you could take before your mind starts dulling. And okay. so I was approached by, you know, and this was, I would say, around 2018, 19, when esports investments were starting to become a, a big thing, right, with uh, right. a lot of the teams getting uh, private equity and, uh, and venture capital funding. Um, so esports hit the radar. And so uh, I live in LA where there's a vibrant uh, early stage venture capital scene here of which uh, I do have relationships with certain you know people and funds where they approach me about like, hey, esports is hot and we want to make some investments. You know, we'd love to get your you know feedback on some of the opportunities and such. And uh, I got engaged for, you know, some some of it was like, you know, entrepreneur residents to evaluate esports deals. Some of them were just forwarded to me to say, hey, what do you think of this company? Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I was saying a lot more no's than yeses. And mm -hmm. so they're like, their job is to deploy money, not to, you know, field business plans and just, you know, pass them on. And so finally, one of the partners with the fund uh, that I was working with, you know, just said, okay, if you're not going to invest into any of these companies, what would you do? What's the problem here that can scale and be uh, solving uh, a major problem in the industry as the industry continues to grow because we won't invest? And I said, it's infrastructure and services. Esports is trying to be, you know, what took uh, NFL and Major League Baseball hundreds of years, I mean, not hundreds of years, but, you know, decades and a hundred years to be where they are today. And it's because right. it has a lot of support and ancillary businesses that build that ecosystem. And I go, it's the picks and shovels. It's not the 
the players and the teams that you should be investing into. I know that's the hype right now, but what you should be looking at is the technology, the platform, the various services that kind of power the growth and the industry. And then that's when they go, well, give us one example. And I go, man, the biggest problem I had was dealing with prize money payouts. There's no off the shelf solution. And I spent so much my own time dealing with compliance and, you know, audits, I go, if that, if, th if that could be solved and if there's a solution off the shelf, I guarantee you there's other publishers and tournament organizers that will use this. And they said, well, we'll give you money. Can you build it? <laughs> and so that's how that came about. Wow. What a great start to an entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey. We'll give you money if you can build it. Um, <laughs> literally on a trip, on a fun trip to Vegas that yeah. we were just talking while we were waiting in line to go into a club. He goes, let's do this. <laughs> I'll wow. give you money. Come up with the idea. And I was like, wow. That's incredible. Um, one thing that we've seen in the esports space, there are there are opportunities to apply and adopt best practices from other industries. And then I think equally as important is understanding what are the specific nuances of how esports is different than traditional sports or traditional entertainment. I'm curious with Payment Labs, as you were developing this solution, how much of it was looking at what's done in other industries and saying, hey, we need to adopt XYZ? And how much was, hey, this is far more global. There's way more countries. Um, there are unbanked uh, professional players wherein traditional sports, you probably have have less of that dynamic. What were what were some of those things that you experienced as you're developing it? Yeah, that's a great question. What so we actually went the latter part first and then adopting best practices. Okay. What we wanted to do was rush out there and solve an esports problem because we know that it was something that was needed right then and there. So we actually built the solution around okay, what does it take to onboard? And what does it take to start doing compliance? And you know, just solving those pieces that I I uh, that I knew personally that I had to deal with when I was doing the payouts. And then when we created the alpha version of the product, our banking and financial partners came to us and said, "Okay, you guys have a solution, but it needs to be more robust and more compliant with banking standards." So. Right. The past two years, the first two years was immediate. Like once we got to the beta version and then commercialized the, our first version, um, you know, we had esports e customers using us off day one. And then, and then as we started, you know, signing up more customers, our banking partners and our financial rails and different compliance partners started noticing that our volume started to increase and they go, okay. Now you need to, you have a solution that works for you, but you need now need to follow financial compliance and regulatory compliance. So we actually spent the past two years raising our standards to be a now a traditional fintech company. So we had wow. to adopt a lot of the requirements that are required of fintechs. So we started out as an esports, you know, payments problem company. And now we're, if you look at what we built and what we do on a daily basis, we should be identified as a fintech because it's exactly like a fintech startup. 
Well, and I'm curious with your background and your team as you're walking us through how you help develop the solution from esports specific to broader banking and fintech. Do you have a finance background or did you, you know, have this experience at ESL and say, okay, I recognize the opportunity and my personal experience has taken me this far. And then I hired on to build out the team and the expertise that I didn't personally have. What what was that like building that team? Yeah. So before I even got into esports, uh, I was in uh, merchant banking, private equity and venture capital. So a lot of a lot of finance, um, you know, but more on the investment side, on the buy side activities. Yeah. Um, so I did have a bit of a background in that, and also um, I worked as a, a corporate venture associate at Samsung, where I was doing a lot of modeling and had to deal with Samsung corporate compliance. Um, so I had familiarity with a lot of the terms and, you know, what, what it was required to do a lot of these type of transactions and building a, you know, a payments, uh, platform. Um, but also 25 years of my career was also trying to build esports, right? Where yeah. we were the first ones doing streaming broadcasts, organizing the first sponsored tournaments when esports wasn't even a term, it was, you know, land parties, so uh, I went a mile deep into the esports side of it. So when I uh, launched this company, I knew where I was lacking. And so I started bringing on people that understood more of the compliance and regulations around payments. Um, some of them were consultants. Some of it was legal. Some of it, you know, was uh, self-learned. Um, I'll give a lot of credit to our CTO, uh, Ronak who um, I would say in very few years is now one of the leading, you know, I would not, I, I don't know if it's an expert, but I, that's what I call him. Yeah. That know all these te technology related compliance matters um, as anyone else that's in the fintech space. So again, it was like a little bit of background, a lot of it uh, just experience. And then in the, at the end, uh, it's absorbing ourselves and having a very clear focus of what we want to do that we have to learn and catch up. Yeah. Well, Megan, I, I love hearing that because when I think about um, what we're trying to do here at ESTA, ESTA, it's really bringing together the people who have that core understanding and experience of the esports industry, like the actual act of mm -hmm playing the games and putting on the tournaments and streaming, et cetera, with people from outside of esports who have complementary expertise, like banking compliance of all things, <laughs> to help then level up our industry as a whole for these next steps that we're now um, getting to. And it sounds like you kind of had both of those personally, which is really cool, but it's, it's really cool to hear about people like your CTO who are coming in to um, to help support. And you know, it's funny, we talk to all these parents all the time about like, is my kid wasting their time playing video games? And we always point them to all of these different career opportunities off the stage, behind the scenes. And now we can add payment processing to that long list. I, I mean, I think that's a good, uh, good feedback when uh, you're talking to people about wasting time on gaming. <laughs> Uh, here's one thing I know from the experiences, you know, and having mentored a lot of people, right. 
it's a lot harder to bring someone outside the space to understand esports than it uh-huh. is a gamer to go into a different career that is ancillary or supportive of esports. Esports, as the term sounds easy, but it is a very complex ecosystem that has multitude of layers and yeah. different components that actually build it. You do everything from you know organizing tournaments, right, to broadcasting to doing social media, content creation, um, all of that. But what's at the true heart of it is it's a gaming community that understands what's needed. Um, And so that's where, you know, I would say maybe 10 years ago when you had third parties trying to come into the space, you know, that's when it was questionable of like, hey, do you even know our industry to even say that what you can, what you do outside of our industry is applicable? But now mm-hmm. what you're seeing is, you know, people that were the gamers back then when they were 16, 17, you know, actively participating in the community or playing in these tournaments are now the business leaders doing not professional gaming, but helping build the businesses or being part of businesses going into a major AV production company saying we have to go yeah. into esports and this is the reason why. Right. Yeah. And you get a lot more examples of success that way than it is people trying to just enter the space because they're the biggest player in another industry. It's the games that are going broadening out that had gaming experience or esports experience that are saying, we we need to be in the space because the space is massive and it's growing. I've actually never heard anybody put it that way. And I think it's a brilliant point that you we're always learning throughout our lives, hopefully, right? (laughs) What is very difficult to enter, especially later in life, Mm -hmm. is a cultural experience that is typically started at a young age with other young people. And I always, I talk to a lot of college students, even about stuff outside of esports. And I always say, everyone who's successful is a nerd. You know, it's, it's always easier. You can always put on cool clothes later. You know, it's easy. <laughs> like Lil, yeah, people like Lil Wayne are nerds, right? They're they're brilliant, and yeah, oh, you're super cool, and look at your <laughs> your shoes or what have you. You can go buy those shoes anytime. You got to learn this deep expertise and master these certain things. And I think that's kind of what you're reflecting there in your comment about it's easier to focus on just your gaming experience. And once you have that, you have that. And then you can broaden out if needed, or you can double down and narrow down into a specific esports career. And you know what I'm also hearing, Han, is when you step back in life and, you know, you pause for a minute and let, let it go and, you know, spend the time with your daughter, take your weekend trips, and really like wait for your 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 purpose to find you while you're open minded because what i'm really present to is how much passion you have around this service and solution and and how how much it impacts our our industry that has enough, you know, challenges as, as an emerging industry. So this does, it levels it up. And um, I, I appreciate that origin part of the story a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, and that's been kind of like my mission. I mean, when I was at ESL as an executive there, um, you know, my my core sole focus was to build and help grow from an ESL framework. When I left ESL, I looked at it broader and said, esports is a nascent industry that's exploding and growing. It, because it brings a community of gamers around it and you go, everyone's a gamer. Uh, the yeah. perfect example I give now is like most of the people that are in the business decision-making process now, uh, you know, that are, I would say even 50 to 60, grew up at least in their childhood, you know, playing Atari, Nintendo. So they know, understand gaming. Now the generation, you know, before that, a lot harder to explain. Right. But uh, if you look at it, you know, I tell people all this time when they try to understand, uh, they have me explain it. I go, there's more 13 and 14 year olds that can watch League of Legends um, and follow the game or play the game and understand the rules and competitions. Then there are probably 13, 14 year olds that play baseball, Little League Baseball, uh, that yeah. could follow the complex rules of baseball. I go, yeah. now you know, move this a couple generations later, who are the, going to be the working professionals and business, you know, decision makers? It's going to yeah. be these gamers because everyone is now gaming. It doesn't matter, matter gender. It doesn't matter what age. This entire uh, entire demographic is become broadening out to even the older group. So, you know, my whole thing is, is like, as the industry continues to grow, it's going to be because familiarity with gaming, even if they don't ever compete in an esports tournament, they'll know that there's competition within gaming is real, you know, because they yeah. probably did it themselves at some point, even if they didn't enter an official tournament. It's a great point you make. Um, I coach my eight-year-old son's soccer team. And so to do an icebreaker on the first practice, you know, we go around and I say, okay, what is your name? What is your age? And what is your favorite thing to do? Mm -hmm. And 11 out of those 12 kids, their favorite thing to do is play video games. And our win and loss record might be a little better if more of them uh, preferred soccer than that one kid who's really good. But <laughs> but um, I was sharing that with another a traditional sports group who is looking at, hey, how do we engage, you know, how do we engage young people? How do we, um, you know, stay relevant? How do we build community? And we're interested to do this through video games. And I shared that example that, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're complex, multifaceted people. We do enjoy more things. So it doesn't mean yeah. if you play video games, you don't play soccer or what have you. But you got to believe whatever it, every kid, especially in the U.S. is doing, they're also playing video games. Um, one more thing I want to cover off with you here, Han, while we still have a few minutes with you, is I know that you are very active as an angel investor. And I, I see that as just another manifestation of your passion for the esports space. Um, for those listening, what do you look for in a good investment? Um, yeah, so it, I don't want to give away the secret sauce. Sure. Hopefully that these are, uh, these are good. Just as much better. as you, yeah. yeah. But it really comes down to the idea, you know, has to be that uh, scalable and it's, it has a proper, you know, addressable market. 
if it's a great solution for just Counter-Strike players, you know, it's a little too niche uh to an extent where i go oh man even if you spend all your time and building this solution it may not be a business it might be you know something that makes you a little cash on the side while you know you hit your stride mm. so that's one of the things is the idea has to be something that contributes to building the ecosystem um and it's it's a, and it allows to scale with the growth of that ecosystem the second is always uh, the founding and management team. They really have to know their stuff in terms of research um, and understand, you know, oh, I just have this great idea and, th- and I think I could do this. No, you know, show them why you can do this. Oh, show the investors why you can do this and have a plan um, of how you're going to do it. Even if you were to raise a single dollar, are you passionate enough to pursue this? You know, and so I'm looking for passionate and right-minded uh, entrepreneurs that, um, that are running a, an idea. Even if it's early, if I'm the first money in, and I have done that a couple of times, is that it has to at least meet those two things. And mm-hmm. the third thing is, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've started up a few companies and I've made mistakes along the way. It's how resilient uh, a person mm-hmm. is. There's a lot of people with, you know, the first major two catastrophic things that might happen to you that will just abandon, you know, the project. Obviously, if it's catastrophic to the point where the company or the startup can't, you know, proceed, uh, you know, you let it go, you learn from it and you build on it and you do the next startup, right? Yeah. But uh, the people that give up too easy um, mm-hmm. when challenges become hard are the people that I try to not to support. And I kind of look at either their history or their um experiences before it's okay if they have failures on their cv as long as they can explain to me what they learned from it and how they're not going to make the same mistakes um mm, yeah. what was wrong with that you know so those are probably the kind of the three uh, things is you know the passion and under you know having a, a well fleshed out idea um yeah. along with the idea being broad enough and contributing to you know scalability and then the third is a personal take on the person uh, or the founding team of are they resilient are they go-getters are they going to be that a startup entrepreneur and esports uh startup founder and entrepreneur should be no different than any other startup entrepreneur it, hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting i think um, a lot of times we hear to the quality of the entrepreneur right like I'm watching Shark Tank sometimes and they're like, I want to invest in you. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know, I mean, obviously you need a very solid idea and your points of scalability and also the addressable market are are well stated. But sometimes too, it's like, I don't know about this idea, but where'd you come from? And <laughs> I just get you on my team because I'm pretty sure whatever you're working on is going to... No, that's, that's a good point to bring out. I personally... Good idea, bad founding team, I wouldn't touch it. Right. An okay idea, amazing founders or entrepreneurs with vision, passion, and all the things I talked about, how I describe what I want to see in a founder, I will invest in that. Wow. Yeah. That's great for us all to keep in mind. And the esports space is is organically entrepreneurial. Right. We're so new. Yeah. (laughs) So new. You know, you had to have people who just believed and were so passionate about this 
to go after it, to hear no and no and no over and over again, try and fail, grow it to the point that we are today. And even just the, I always think about this, my background is in skateboarding uh, in my youth. And so skateboarding is very much a skateboard team starts their most popular skater splits off and starts his own skateboard mm -hmm. company. And that's exactly what you see. Optic is a good example. You've got Optic starting, nade shots there, splits off, starts 100 Thieves, et cetera. And then just within this whole ecosystem, payment processing being a great example as well, there are so many different opportunities for new solutions, yes. both whether it's a new team that's going about it a different way or you know, how do we get people paid after they win a tournament? Yeah. And I think I mentioned this, uh, you know, in our, before the podcast, you know, I still feel like, yeah, it's not in the first or second innings of a baseball game. It might, but it's still pretty early. It's yeah. in the third and fourth innings. The industry overall isn't established or mature like other industries that have been around for 50 years. Right. It's, uh, it's still growing. It can still pivot and there's going to be evolution of it. And so, absolutely like it we're still early in the process so almost everyone that i talk to i love like hearing their ideas and where they fit within that and how they you know are going to contribute the opportunity is still there right it's because right. we're still early yeah and i i love the, the space we're in while some people see it as challenged we're early but there's there's been a foundation that that you yes. a lot of your fellow ogs have built so we're not starting from scratch that's right. We're starting from newish. <laughs> saying, where does it go from here? But we know there's a there there. Yeah. And that's that's exactly you, uh, you build off of the legacy of what was built right, what was done wrong, and take the next. And that's what I meant by evolution is this next generation of members within your organization and all the new startups and technologies that you're seeing being developed even at the team levels, right? Uh, the team yeah. organizations are evolving of like what they need to be. It can't be just the old model of let's build the world's best team of players, right? right? They're figuring out, okay, now we need to figure out how to monetize and, you know, engage our fans and create events, sell tickets, you know, all these things. So you're constantly seeing evolution. And so you build off of, you know, the legacy of the past to build and continue to grow what this industry is. Yeah. And what well, will, will be in the future? Absolutely. I'm excited about it. And, you know, it's, I'm excited about our community that's coming together, not just at our annual conference, but consistently across the weeks and months throughout the year. And Han, you are, you know, one of these people who I'm so thankful are, you know, part of our community, attending our events and contributing your experience and, and what you're providing to the, to the industry as a whole. Um, why don't you tell us last question, where can people find you and connect with you in the ways that you would like them to? <laughs> Definitely not LinkedIn for a while. Uh, <laughs> I just got recently hacked. So that profile is not mine. Uh, but uh, yeah, usually it's LinkedIn and people, I actually have a website um, where I do my advisory and investment activities. And that's probably the best. It's uh, esportsconsulting.com. And Great. they can get my contact info there. But um, yeah, and also, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, ping me for different things. That's what I always tell people. I won't tell ever say, you know, it's a terrible idea. I usually try to help flesh it out. 
and say, what is it that you're trying to do? Okay, and how do how are you going to do this? Almost trying to address kind of the weakness or uh, the points that I brought up earlier, what I'm looking for in people, that yeah. I try to be as constructive as possible to help them, even if I'm not going to get involved. And so love being, uh, you know, a person that it becomes uh, someone that they can come to, you know, for advice. I can't say that all my time is available to do it. So you may not have a response from me immediately, but uh, definitely I love people reaching out to me. Awesome. Well, I love that spirit of others first and helping however you can. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, well, we'll have to say goodbye for now. I look forward to our next chat. And so on behalf of Megan Van Petten and I, thank you for joining us today on the Esports Next podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.